So for those who don't know, we are originally from Cape Town, South Africa. I lived there for most of my life, so did Martine. And we actually started dating when you were 18, I think. Yeah, uh, I was right 20. before my final exams. And I guess I always knew I wanted a business. I discovered computers when my dad brought this, um, this old, uh, I think it was called a Spectrum computer, back home, which took a, a cassette tape. And that's when I kind of started just getting these books and kind of coding and games into a computer. You're showing just, your age now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just I realized that kind of the ability to create something from nothing was amazing. So I wrote some games on there, you know, copied. Actually, a friend of mine who was a writer, we decided to make a text-based game on the Spectrum. Uh, we plugged it into our TV and then I wrote the code, he wrote the story behind the game. And that's kind of when I got into coding in the beginning. I think you might remember when I tried this website. So later on, I think probably during university, I created a site called dineonline.co.za. Do you remember that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the idea was to get uh, restaurants to put their menus online and people could find their menus and then hopefully get reviews. Yeah, so we, we tried that in South Africa. I think you came with me the one time to try to get people to actually pay 100 rand to go on the site. <laughs> yeah, it was quite interesting back then because times were very different. So South Africa especially, there weren't that many people using online for for looking up menus or ordering. There wasn't anything like that back then. So it was a pretty hard sell. I remember going to restaurants and they, they really weren't interested. They, they kind of felt they had their regular customers and they didn't need any high-tech processes in, in their way. Yeah, so even though I enjoyed coding and creating kind of games and that kind of thing on computers, I decided to become a doctor and I was accepted into medicine at university. My, my grandfather was a doctor. Both my sisters are in, in medicine right now. But at the last minute, I chose to change to business science with a major in computer science, mainly because I just, I don't know, the, the, the medicine thing didn't really interest me as much as the ability to create a business and be able to be more creative. I definitely don't think that Gavin was ever, ever really destined to be a doctor. Anytime there's any sign of blood on one of our daughter's limbs, he is not the first person they come to because he's the one who will hide away from the <laughs> sight of it. So I think that was a good choice. Yeah, so I ended up uh, completing my degree in business science and computer science. And uh, after university, it was actually a, a tough time. It was right after apartheid, basically. Yeah, it was, I think, just after no, a few years after apartheid. And um, basically, it was quite hard to get a job uh, at that time. So, you know, I was kind of looking for a job for about three to six months, I think, until my dad had a connection that he knew in a company called Fashini. And I was able to get accepted into this interposition there. Uh, and I remember working for Fashini, I was a, a .NET developer, and I remember in the beginning, on the first day during orientation, they asked all of the new starters to write a letter to their future selves, uh, saying where they saw themselves in 10 years. And I remember distinctly writing, I want, to, I want to have my own business, so I can be in control of my destiny and have, be able to create my own job, essentially. Because I'd struggled so much to get a job, just being able to create my own job was my, was my wish for the future. And uh, thankfully, 10 years later, that wish actually came true. But anyway, I spent four and a half years working at Fashini in a sort of corporate culture. And I remember Martine actually came with me on my first day. And I was so excited to have the job. We drove there on a Sunday. So actually, on the day before my first day, we drove there on a Sunday and we took a photo outside the Fashini sign because I was so proud to have a job. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that. We still got the photo somewhere. So I discovered that the corporate culture wasn't for me. I needed to make more of a direct impact. You know, being one of like 2,000 employees just meant that I w my impact was so small that I couldn't actually see what I was doing. You know, I was yeah, really struggling with that, that sort of thing. 
So it came a time where I either was going to move out of home. I was still working at this company and you know living at home with my parents. Either move out of home somewhere in Cape Town or kind of leave South Africa and maybe travel the world for a bit and then come back. And it was quite difficult because Martina and I had been dating for about five years, I think, at that time. Yeah. So it's quite a serious relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided that you know I needed to just have a change of scenery, get out of the small town mindset, and uh, just travel, travel for two years. So go work and travel. And the easiest place to go to was London. It's the most central place. The UK is obviously very central. You can travel from there. And I was able to get a two-year working holiday visa, which meant I could work for a year and travel for a year. And I moved there, and um, I think a few weeks later, you came to visit? It was a few yeah, months a few later. Months Sorry, a few months later. later. Yeah. yeah, a few months later over Christmas. Never felt it was the cold like that before. I'd come from the peak of summer in Cape Town to um, peak of winter in, in the UK. That was quite an experience for me. So, Martine, I think you spent six weeks that first visit after the four months. Yeah, touring every part of London while he worked. But I think the thing that you've kind of skipped over here was also part of the reason for coming to London, yes, to work and earn pounds and to travel. But I think it was also kind of to, it helped you clarify that the corporate environment wasn't for you. I think you kind of needed to experience other opportunities and to kind of clarify or consolidate where your passions actually were. You weren't kind of sure what you believed in, what you wanted to do, what, what you wanted to learn, what you, you know, you didn't really know where your mark was going to be, but you knew you needed to discover that. So there were three companies I worked for in the UK, um, in London, and each of them taught me a, a lesson that helped shape my future, I guess. First one was called M35, which was a startup. There were about seven of us, and we focused on building banking integration software, so building a very robust sort of integration messaging system. Then I worked for a company called Hotel Connect, very similar to Expedia, where we kind of sold hotel rooms, essentially, on the web. And uh, you know we outsourced bits of technology to different companies, and uh, I learned a few lessons about outsourcing uh, while working for them. And the third one was a software consultancy called Linksfield Technologies. I learned about um, what it takes to deliver software for clients, how hard it is, and it taught me that you know I really preferred working in products that could scale rather than working on consulting and kind of trading your hours for money. So people often ask where the idea, where the sendable idea came from. And it didn't really, I guess, it, I think the spark was initially, I mean, the initial idea was really very different to what it is today. The initial spark, I guess, was when my dad said to me, uh, you know, he, he runs a, a company in South Africa and he has staff and he said to me he'd love to be able to schedule happy birthday messages, emails to his staff. So I thought, okay, I'll just create a little project for him, a little side project, a little um, Windows application where he could plug in the email addresses and dates and it would send out emails on a particular date automatically and he could use that. Can we just backtrack for a little bit? During the time that Gavin was working at these three companies, he was definitely not the best version of himself. Yes, he went to work every day. Yes, he was doing work. He was learning. He was happy-ish. But every day he would come home and he would be like, I, this is just not 100% what I want to be doing. I'm still waiting for the idea. It hasn't come yet. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. But the idea hasn't come and I'm still waiting for the idea to come. And that's kind of what happened for kind of pretty much that whole period of time. He was just sitting back waiting and thinking and trying this and trying that and just hoping that one day the idea would come, like the idea yeah. basically would come. And then, and then obviously this happened with his dad. 
Yeah, so I had this idea for my dad, but basically it wasn't even an idea, it was just a little side project to automate the sending of emails. And um, I just kept coding in my spare time. Little Windows console app that I created and was ready all it was. IntelliMail is what I called it. It's actually still in the code base today. We still have the, the sendable backend application is still called IntelliMail. So it just shows how, how far it's come from then. But yeah, it lets you schedule emails. And I developed this thing in a way that you couldn't just send emails. You could basically send anything. So you could plug in different technology, different integrations. I'd made sending emails, SMS, anything you wanted possible. So that's where kind of the name originally started evolving. Like sendable really meant that sending any type of message was possible. Um, and that, that was the whole, the whole idea originally. And uh, as there were more integrations coming along, you know, we had things like Friendster came and went. Bebo, I think, died. MySpace, Orkut, Twitter, obviously, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. As more of these uh, sort of social networks started cropping up, I kept adding more integrations to this IntelliMail software so that my dad or ever used it could schedule anything, not just emails. So basically, so he had developed this thing for his dad. And then I will never forget the day that he came bounding in. He like literally it was like something out of the Flintstones where he would bash down the door and come in and he finally said it. I've got the idea. I will never, ever, ever forget that. He was suddenly, you could just see his whole kind of body language changed and his whole posture changed. And there was like this, this like firework went off in our apartment. So <laughs> he, he, he had the idea and that was like the rest, as they say, is history. He went straight to his computer and just started hacking it out, really. So I remember many, many, many late nights after that, just kind of trying to get this, this thing out. He didn't really know what it was going to be, where it was going to go, but he knew he had the idea and he needed to kind of get started on it right away. It's important to mention that that idea isn't the same thing as Sendable is today. Yeah. But we'll touch on that idea shortly, yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, I had this little tool that could schedule things, and I wanted the world to try it. I was obviously very eager to kind of code this thing and get it live. And I basically I built my own logo, created a little logo, got some free image online, and I built a website that worked um, with IntelliMail, this backend system, and I called it Sendable, so sendable.com. Luckily, that domain was available. I couldn't get the send A-B-L-E, but the I-B-L-E one was available, and I just bought that domain. And actually, I was lucky enough to have been given this old server from M35 when I worked for them that I still had in the flat. I think you were using it as your desktop computer. Yeah, it was the noisiest computer of it. <laughs> so I took her, I said, look, I have to take your computer away from you. I'm so sorry. Yeah, well, we'll try to get another one. And I actually originally had paid £10 for that server from M35. And I basically got a static IP address from my internet provider, which meant that I could host the website from home. So I plugged the server into our router, used the IP address, obviously pointed the, the DNS, sendable.com, at our home IP and ran the website from this, uh, this server I was running in the flat. And for the next year, pretty much sounded like our study had a Hoover permanently <laughs> on in that room. But it's actually amazing to think that Sendable itself was being hosted from our tiny little North London flat. It's quite something. I mean, the power went out, the whole site went down. Yes, it's I remember crazy. that. If ever the electricity went <laughs> off, then suddenly the customers in America were suddenly saying, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. And we didn't really want to admit that it was just because, you know, whatever, like <laughs> there was just an outage in North London in yeah. our road at the time. <laughs> so I released the website. Basically, it, on the, the headline would say, send email, mobile and social network messages ahead of time. It was a free site. People could just come on there and kind of 
schedule their, their posts out. And um, yeah, this was about 2008 when it went live. But the idea, this was the, the idea that I came back with that time when Martin was talking about it now, was really, this was the, the whole idea behind this. Sendable would be completely free, but businesses would pay to place contextual ads in the posts. So I'd have a, almost like a marketplace where businesses would create their ads. And if you had a tweet, uh, let's say about cars, and a business who sold cars wanted to place an ad, you could have a line below the tweet saying, you know, purchase cars from xyz.com, whatever it was. And um, that was the whole idea, that they would pay to have their messages below someone else's post on social media. And the other thing, this was before SMS was basically free, but you'd have the ability to schedule messages via SMS because the businesses were basically sponsoring those messages with their contextual ads. And that was, this was this million pound idea that I had when I came back. And it was also that WhatsApp wasn't even around back then. Yeah. So I remember wanting to kind of send my parents messages in South Africa. And this was the best way to do it because otherwise it was too expensive to send international texts. So anyway, I was lucky enough back then it was really easy to get attention for these kinds of new products. So I wrote to Mashable, ReadWriteWeb, TechCrunch, all these big sort of publications back then. And a lot of them picked up the story. And because it was so unique and that you could kind of schedule your Twitter, Facebook, and more with Sendable. And that actually resulted in around 20,000 free users signing up really quickly. But the thing that we need to just say here is, so Gavin wrote to them, but it's kind of like when, you know, in the old days where you used to write to a celebrity and you didn't actually think you were going to get a response. Like, he kind of forgot all about it, that he had contacted these people. And then one day, I think you got an email to say that you were going to be published in this magazine. And... It was literally, we ran out, we bought how many copies? About six copies or something <laughs> of this magazine to send all over the world. It was honestly one of the most exciting days ever because you really didn't, as I say, you were just doing this little thing for your dad. You didn't actually think anyone was going to pay attention to it. Suddenly, you, you, you know, you emailed these people. Suddenly, you were actually getting a response and you were published and you got all these users from nowhere. And it was just like... You didn't know that this was actually anything at the time, and people were paying attention to something that was just like being hosted in our flat. Yeah, Re- really, never thought it was going to be anything. Really, it was just an idea. So, from these articles, we quickly attracted around twenty thousand users uh, that signed up for free. And we continued to keep Sendable free in the beginning, but obviously, we had this advertising platform where the businesses could add ads, but that didn't really pick up much. I mean, we made maybe I don't know a few hundred pounds from that. Anyway, I kept iterating and improving the actual product, uh, even though it was free, just as a hobby, really, you know. Um, and I remember in 2009, this was like the year, well, maybe six months after we started the company, just making 400 pounds per month. So I thought, okay, I better register a business. You know, this is what people do when they start making money, uh, start paying, paying tax. So I registered the company. So we were making about 400 pounds per month in 2009, and I registered the company. I remember at the end of that first year going to the accountants for the end of your accounts and we had made around £4,000 in the first year and uh, my accountants were really surprised. They asked how I was putting food on the table actually because at that stage I had actually quit my job already. Um, I had just left my job and was making around £4,000 a year and they were just gobsmacked. But anyway, we'll, we'll touch on that shortly. So essentially I was working for a consulting company and I knew Sendable was going to take off. I needed some help. And I also needed some free time to work on this thing. And the thing is, because I had to register a business, the, co- the company I was working for, I needed to get permission to register a business. And they actually said, in order for me to keep my job, I needed to give them part of the company. They wanted 50% at first, but we got it down to 10%. So 
So essentially, I gave away 10% in exchange for some time to work on Sendable one day a week for about six months. That was the whole deal. And I've written up that story's all on, on Forbes, actually, if you want to hear the story about how I gave away 10% for free accidentally, and what actually in exchange for a few, a few months of working one day a week. Now, I thought that that's how companies are founded. You know, Mark Zuckerberg gave away part of Facebook, and now Facebook's a multi-billion dollar company. So I thought, okay, all companies, that's how they start. You give away a part of your business to help it grow. And I almost gave away half the business, which would have been for nothing, actually. So I eventually negotiated down to 10%, and they agreed to give me one day to work on Sendable a week and um, for, for six months, and they would pay for server hosting and making introductions to the business to help me grow the company. Now, they, they did agree that actually over the six months, they did give me that one day off for six months, but they didn't pay for hosting and they didn't make any introductions. So I quickly lost motivation. I kind of didn't, I felt like I'd given away 10% for nothing, you know, and I didn't want to work on Sendable anymore. So I decided to launch this other product called Snippy. It was called snippy.com. And this was essentially a feed of all your social media and news snippets in one place. So almost like a live stream of, of incoming engagement and uh, articles. And I worked on that for a few months, didn't really take off. So I thought, okay, if, if I'm going to make Sendable a success, it already had some traction, it already had you know, 14 to 20,000 users, I believe. I would need to quit my job and go all in. I think you actually convinced me. I think it was also the time that that article came out. I think that's when it, when it happened. So basically you were moving over now to Snippy because you were losing motivation at Sendable. And then that article came out, I think. And then you were kind of like, hang on, this actually could be something. People are paying attention to it now. So it was end of 2009 when I quit my job and went all in on Sendable. I still had 10% of the business, but I decided I'm going to make this a success, go by myself. I had about six months of savings. So I realized that from 2010, you know, I could give it a go until the middle of the year. And I was still making around 400 pounds a month from the site. So I had a bit of income I could live off. I think you were actually studying at the time. Yeah, I was teaching and studying remotely. So after quitting my job and going all in on Sendable, I was luckily able to buy back the 10% from my previous employers. They were willing to send it back to me. And after that, I was really motivated to make this business a success. So at the time when I quit my job, I realized I needed to make some income quickly. If I'm going to make this a business... I would need to, I, I need to figure out how I could make this lucrative and profitable for me to live off. So I needed to pivot from it being a totally free platform to being a paid social media tool. And that, that was the big shift. So what I did was I, I combined Sendable and Snippy together into one platform. So Sendable, again, was the scheduling publishing tool. And Snippy was this uh, sort of feed, this kind of inbox type, type of tool. And Snippy became the Sendable inbox. So the, the Sendable priority inbox is what Snippy originally was. And I combined them both together to create this uh, sort of Windows 95 looking tool back then. It looked more like a business tool. Had the scheduling, had all these amazing features that people could use. And I also changed the marketing website and the logo in the middle of 2010. So the logo, I kind of then had enough income, the 400 pounds a month, helped to pay for a new logo. And that's very similar to the logo we have today still. And I guess the most important thing I did was I needed to figure out if I'm a, a solo founder, I'm not really great at sales. I wasn't good at sales back then. I was just a coder. How could I kind of get people to sell Sendable for me? And the best way back then was to launch a reseller program or a white label program where people could kind of reskin Sendable as their own. These agencies could come on, reskin it, and they could resell it for me. 
And I remember charging $1,000 per white label setup. I think you helped me set them up in the beginning. Yes. I used to come in on a Friday and help Gavin um, set up these white labels for the customers. So these white labels really catapulted Sendable's growth and allowed me to start a business. Just to show you how, how big this, this impact was. So in 2009, I generated just over 4,000 pounds of revenue for the entire year. And that's when my accountant said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? How are you putting food on the table? And a year later, in 2010, by the end of the year, I generated over 100,000 pounds in revenue. So that was all from white label sales, mainly. And people paying $1,000 per white label, and it clearly took off. So I never used to look back on the founding story, but I recently started kind of taking all new starters through the story to show them kind of what I used to be doing. You know, I never was a CEO. Obviously, I didn't come in as a CEO. I was a founder. I'm a creator. I'm a maker. I like to make things. So I like to reflect on this with new starters to show that we come from very humble beginnings, literally from nothing, just an idea, and an old server that I paid 10 pounds for to where we are today. Um, and it's really we important We no to longer reflect. use that server, you'll be pleased <laughs> to know. Imagine if we did. So I think the, the honest thing is I never really thought this thing would take off. It wasn't really a business in the beginning. It was more just a side project that became a business. Did you think it would take off? Well, I didn't know what to believe because obviously I didn't really understand from the technical side what you were actually developing. But I think the turning point for us was definitely that article that came out. We've still got it. Um, I really want to frame it and put it up in the study somewhere to kind of motivate um, us on a daily basis. But I think we never really thought... For you, Gav, I think the thing is that you always just wanted kind of a lifestyle business. This was a nice little hobby of yours. You you didn't set out to move mountains and change the world. And I think the turning point for us was when this article came out and you suddenly thought, oh my goodness, like people are actually paying attention to something that I've done. Like, who am I at the time? Mm. You know, no one knew who you were. We had, as I said, this noisy server. Like, if you really wanted to change the world, you would have bought the most expensive server at the time and you would have done things differently. And this was just something we kind of used to work on until four o'clock in the morning. And it was just kind of something that you just kind of did. And then people started paying attention. Mm. And I think never, ever, ever in your wildest dreams would you have imagined having a group of over 40 people working for you. Cause that was never kind of what you saw happening in the future. You just mm. kind of wanted something to bring in a little bit of money every month that you wouldn't have to kind of work for a boss that you could be your own boss and, I think the most exciting thing for me, I remember thinking, actually being from South Africa, that I wanted to create a business that could generate passive income so I could have a good lifestyle. That was my whole original plan. I I think I was most excited when I saw I'd be asleep and I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be payments coming in. So making money when you sleep was the biggest motivator for me in the beginning. Right. It was never about um, turning over this amount of revenue or anything like that. It was never... It was never what you wanted. It was never what you set out to achieve. It was just kind of the passive income, the lifestyle business, being able to, you know, we also thought we were going to go move back to South Africa. So being able to, mm. you know, be on Clifton Beach and just suddenly yeah. getting a few messages that a few payments had come in. I think when I realized it could be more than a, like a lifestyle business, then I realized I could make more of an impact. Yeah. So as I said, I never thought this thing would actually be a business. It was more like just an idea that turned into a business over time and evolved. And I don't think there's anything, any such thing as overnight success when it comes to business. I think it's just a long graft, especially when you're just a bootstrapped company with no outside funding. I think the one thing you have to reflect on is the timing that you launched Sendable. Yeah. Sendable was launched at the time that there was no real social media. As I said, there wasn't WhatsApp, but there wasn't Twitter. Facebook was only just starting. So the timing could not have been better. And I think in a different market, in a different time, maybe it wouldn't have been what it's become today. And I think most, I mean, everybody knows most businesses don't aren't successful in the beginning or they or they can't even go live. And I think that 
the the timing and all the stars were aligned in this case and the fact that you got the attention that you got and that people were looking for this tool right in the beginning mm. was amazing and that you were able to merge these two ideas together it was just everything kind of worked out in your favor really and um thank and thank we were very thankful for that of course that's a good point i think timing is everything because if you think 2008 was a major recession and uh, to start a business during a recession i think the timing played a massive part it's very similar to where we are now with another recession coming i just going to say that it's very interesting because that's exactly what's happened now with the recession now that so many people are turning to social media yeah. and it just proves that it's kind of stood the length of time. So not just that, but I think also like businesses, you can start a business, especially at times like now is a really good time to start something because of the changes in how we live, especially during a recession. The world has changed right now, you know, during the pandemic. And I think there are lots of opportunities to kind of solve problems in a different way. So I think you're right. Social media is still, it has really lasted all this time. And lived through it's, it's actually survived through recessions, but I think equally, I think the timing now is really good to start something else or innovate in a different way, and look at look at what's in front of us. Not try to do the same thing you've always done. I think generally, I think there are problems in our time now that people didn't know were problems, you know, five years ago. So it's really, as Gavin says, it really is a good time to kind of think outside the box and to see people's needs are changing and people's the things that people kind of prioritize are changing. So it really is a good time. Yeah. 